We're going to be in 1 Peter again uh, this morning, chapter 1, starting in verse 13. But I want to tell you, I mentioned it last week, I think, maybe, I don't know, but went on a camping trip here a couple of weeks ago. And um, it was, we, we had a great time, if I didn't mention that already. It was, uh, there was nine of us, I think, that went on this hiking trip, and we hiked to Jack's River Falls and back. And uh, if you haven't done that before, if you're able to do it, 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 it is just awesome. But there's 25 river crossings, 22 just to get to the falls. We, we did a, took a different route to go, to go home. And um, 23 miles over three days is what we hiked. And it was, it, it was a hiking trip. So the nature of that kind of trip is not, you don't have the, the truck or the van full of extra stuff. You don't have the bathrooms you just walk down to. You're just out there. So the only thing, the only thing you have is what you carry in with you on your back. And so there's some careful preparations and planning that goes into a trip like that. Uh, especially when you got some young guys that you're hoping, uh, you know, prepare accordingly. Um, we started, the first day was sunny, 75 degrees, beautiful weather. The last morning it was 37 degrees when we woke up, so we had some weather to consider. We got a little bit of rain one morning. I think the first, first morning we woke up in the woods, it was raining a little bit. Um, and so there's just a lot to plan for, a lot to prepare for. There was one amenity there. It was the running water of the river. Okay, so um, we, had, we had a good time, but we had to be um, prepared, but we also didn't want to be caught short with anything. And so there's this balance of, you know, how much do you bring and what do you leave? What is necessary? What's a luxury? And they say uh, when you're planning for a hiking trip, if you've done this before, that ounces become pounds, and uh, I've had too many ounces in my pack, I think. But, um, but we, had, we had a great trip. And partly we had a great trip was because we prepared ahead of time for the things that we were facing. And as we look into God's word this morning, we see this call to action. And we see that Peter's calling us to be prepared for the Christian life that God has for us. And so uh, we're going to start here in verse 13. And... Um, I think before we do that, we'll pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for, uh, thank you for your word. Thank you for um, the truths that are in it. Thank you that they are life-changing truths, that your word is full of life. And so, Lord, as we open your word this morning, it's because um, we want to experience this life that you have for us. Lord, thank you for uh, this time of uh, worship through mu- music that we've had already. Lord, would you teach us now as we look into your word? I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So this first, first chapter of Peter so far, or First Peter, we've been looking at the blessings that we have in our salvation. And Peter's talking about not just the blessings for today, but the future blessing and future hope that we have in Jesus Christ. Um, Peter kind of acknowledged that there's trials that we face along the way. It's not just smooth sailing, just when you give your life to Christ and everything's going to be fine and never be another issue. That's not how it is. We do have trials but it's okay because our life here is temporary. We have, we have a hope and a future that we're looking forward to. And so uh, verse 13 starts, therefore. So in light of the fact that we have the blessings of salvation, in light of the fact that we have a future home that we are looking forward to, he has some further instruction for us. And it says, prepare your minds for action. Now, the, the, some, some translations might say, 
uh, gird up the loins of your mind. And it's kind of a unique translation. But the idea here is if you were living in the first century in, in this area where this was written, you would, you would know that first century fashion include long flowing robes, right, for the men and for the women. So there was um, a lot of clothes, they hung, they were loose, they, were, they would be in the way if you had some work to do or if you had a journey to go on. So they would gird up their loins, so they would literally grab up all of their, their clothing and tie it around their waist so they could travel, they could work, they could accomplish the task that's at hand. So they had to, in other words, pre- get ready to work is what they were doing. Um, and so this verse here says, prepare your minds for action. Peter's saying, look, there's something you need to do, and you need to be ready to do it. Um, it it's, it's the same when we, were, when we were preparing our packs for the trail. Like we knew what needed to be done. We knew what we were facing, so we, we made mental preparation for that. So this is prepare your minds for action and be sober-minded. This is uh, self-controlled. This is um, outside of any other flu- influence. Normally when we talk about being sober, the antithesis to that would be drunk, right? Um, so the opposite of being out of control or having outside influence on your body is to be in control without any sort of influence. The mind's clear. It's ready to, ready to go says, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And we've kind of been talking about this the last couple of weeks. We have this confident expectation when we see this word hope. It's not, well, maybe it'll happen, but we have a confident expectation on the grace, this undeserved favor favor from God in our lives um, that will be brought to us at the revelation of Jesus Christ. We have this future hope that we're looking forward to. So prepare your minds, be self-controlled, be thinking clearly, understand this future hope that we have. Warren Wearsby says of this passage, he said, a Christian who is looking for the glory of God, I would say looking for God's return, or this passage refers to uh, the revelation of Jesus Christ, As a Christian who's looking for the glory of God, excuse me, a Christian who is looking for the glory of God has a greater motivation for present obedience than a Christian who ignores the Lord's return. So if we have in our minds that God is coming back, we will be with him one day. There's greater motivation to be obedient today then if he's just out there and he's, well, there's no accountability, we'll never see him again, there is greater accountability. So greater motivation if we have this idea as we're preparing for action that one day we'll be with him. There's a good example of this. We can look at the um, example of Abraham and Lot. So Abraham and Lot, they are relatives. They are called by God to leave their land and go to this unknown land. They don't know where they're going. They don't know where they're going to end up. But Lot and Abraham had a different perspective. Abraham was looking from the perspective that one day he would be with God in heaven, that, he would, that, this, that the, the land that he was going to wasn't, would not be his permanent home, that he had a future home to hope for. Lot, on the other hand, he was just looking for, he was, just, he was wanting to be comfortable. He was looking for just his interest. He didn't have the future thought in mind. So Hebrews chapter 11 uh, 
talks about the perspective that Abraham had. Abraham was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. And this is why Abraham, when they went up on the mountain, Abraham could say to Lot, you take your pick and I'll take whatever's left over. Because Abraham knew that he had a city and a home awaiting from him for him that was not of this world. And so we know what happened there. Lot chose the city. He chose destruction. His eyes were on what he could gain and accomplish in the world. Abraham kept a heavenly perspective. Um, Jumping down to verse 13 in this same passage. These all died in faith. Now he's referring to in Hebrews 11. So far he's listed uh, Adam, Abel, Enoch, Noah. Uh, He's talking about Abraham. All these guys, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar. So they knew there was a city waiting for them. They knew that God was preparing a place for them. And they acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on earth. For people who speak this way, make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. Abraham knew, it didn't matter if he took the, the, the plains of Sodom or if he took the, whatever was left over, he, he knew that he was, he was looking beyond that. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. They could have just stayed where they were. They could have gone back to where they were. But as it, as it is, they desire a, a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. So why are we talking about Abraham and Lot? Abraham was obedient to God because he was looking forward to that future. He knew that there was a home for him that was not of this world. Lot got caught up in the the cares and concerns of the world and was not obedient to God because he did not have this proper perspective. And so Peter's talking about this state of mind that we should have. We should be We should prepare our minds for action. We should get ready. He's got something he's about to give us. Clear-minded, self-controlled, with our hope on a future home. We're not going to get tangled up in in the affairs of the world. And this this is how Peter wants us to be thinking as we come to verse 14. He says, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. We talked about... Uh, how, how God is our Father. We are children of God, and as children, we are to be obedient to our Father. We see that call for our lives throughout Scripture. Uh, I want to read from the New Living Translation the same verse. It says, Don't slip back into your old ways of living to satisfy your own desires. You didn't know any better then. Don't don't shape your life around the things that were important to you before you were a Christian. Don't shape your life around things that are of this world. Instead, we have another instruction. And I wish this is a great pattern that we see in Scripture. I wish I was better at it. I wish I had been better at it when, when the boys were younger. It's easy as parents to let our kids know what they're not supposed to do. Right? Don't do that. Stop that. No, you can't go there. No, you can't hang out with them. I better never let you catch me. No, the other way around. I better never catch you. <laughs> it's, it's easy, it's easy to, to tell them no, right? But the, the, the pattern and the example of Scripture is 
the, the warning, do not be conformed with an instruction of what you should do instead. So here comes, here comes, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. All right, this is no small command. God says, I am holy, so you should be holy. This is a call that as image bearers of God, we should be conformed to his image. As God is holy, we should be holy. And this is no, this is no simple task. The, the command comes from the Old Testament when God was uh, giving instruction to Moses and the people of Israel. We see it multiple times, especially in the book of Leviticus, this command to be holy for I am holy. This is God's command to his people. And it makes sense because as, as, uh, as, we, as it's, we're told in Genesis, we were created in the image of God, so we should be his image bearer. And so if God is holy, then in turn, we should be holy. And I think about um, Sarah's um, sister. She's got two little boys, uh, Larry and Charlotte's grandkids, Lane and Solomon. And these guys, they love to put their boots on. They love to, uh, their, their dad, Josh, he dumped a, a pile of gravel out in front of their yard. And those boys just attacked it with their uh, bulldozers, with their dump trucks, with their ex- excavators. They were trying to be just like their dad is as a, a grading contractor. And so you probably remember, look back to your kids when they followed you around the yard with their boots on and a shovel or a rake or whatever toy that you had for them. Children want to imitate their parents. And you say, well, yeah, but uh, the earthly fathers don't always set the greatest example. It's true. We'll get to the definition of holy and we see that our heavenly father is perfect. He is holy, he is blameless, and he is worth imitating. So I wonder, is that what our longing is, is to be like our heavenly Father? All right, so the command. As children of God, we should be holy, for I am holy. So let's look at what this this word holy means. We want to see what it means when referring to God, and then see what it might look like for us then to imitate that. And I think of Isaiah he had the vision of, of the angels declaring, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. And I think it's the, the emphasis there is important. It's not holy is the Lord of hosts. He doesn't say holy, holy is the Lord of hosts, but it's holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. There's great emphasis on that, this idea that God is holy. And two two things we'll touch on when it comes to holiness, and I think it helps to describe um, really the, the, the main emphasis of God and his holiness is, one, that God is transcendent would be the word, but God is outside a normal physical experience. He doesn't have a body like we have. He doesn't have physical limitations that we have. God is a supernatural God. He exists outside of the physical realm. But the other aspect of holiness, and we're going to look at some verses that really kind of emphasize both of these, is purity. So when we say that God is he's different than us, he's not physical like we are, one of the main differences is his purity, his sinlessness, his holiness. 
and um, he is without sin, without fault. And it brings us to the definition of holy, which is very simply would be set apart, distinct, separate, not like, not like everything else, um, dissimilar to everything, removed from everything else, in a class by itself. So we're talking about something that's totally different than everything else. And when we talk about God, there is none, there is none like God. Let's look at a, a few verses that describe, describe this, um, this idea. This is the first one is Exodus 15, 11. And this is from the song that Moses and the people of Israel sang after they had crossed the Red Sea. It's part of their celebration. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? And of course, the obvious answer is no one. No one is like God. God's holiness dictates that he is distinct, he is separate, he is set apart from everyone else. Um, We see it in Hannah's prayer when she left her young son Samuel to be raised in the temple. Um, She she prayed this prayer in 1 Samuel 2 verse 2. There is none holy like the Lord, for there is none beside you. There is no rock like our God. This idea that God He cannot be compared to anything else. He is totally separate, totally distinct, totally unlike everything, everyone, everything else. Isaiah uh, 40, verse 25. To whom then will you compare me, that I should be like him, says the Holy One. So God actually puts out the challenge. Who are you going to compare me to? Find one person that you could say, well, he's like God. Well, God, this person is like God. She's like God. And of course, the answer to this, whom then will you compare me? There's, there's no one. There is no one to compare God to. And this is why we can, um, we can say that we are, that God is our father and celebrate that. Our earthly father, some of us had a good one, some of us not so great, maybe some of us in between, but our heavenly father he is holy. He is distinct. He is pure. He's sinless. He's blameless. He's not like anything else that we can imagine. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as high as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. God's in his thinking and the way that he acts and the way that he is, is holy. It's separate. It's distinct. It's not the same as us. Psalm 24 uh, kind of speaks of the, this idea of purity and, and holy. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? And who shall stand in his holy place? Who can stand in, in, the, in God's holy place in the Lord's presence? Who could do that? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. Who, we'll, we'll stay there in verse 4 for a second. Who, who, can, who can meet up to this? Who can measure up to this description? Clean hands, pure heart, doesn't lift up his soul. This is why we needed Jesus to die on the cross for us because we can't do this. But this is what's required to be in God's holy presence because he is distinct. He's different. He is set apart from everything that we know. So if we, if we look back at 1 Peter, that's a bit of just describing of, of God and his holiness. And so the question is, if 
If the command here in uh, verse 14 and 15, excuse me, 15 and 16, but he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conducts, since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. It seems like an impossibility. How would we, how would we ever do that? Well, going back to verse 2 of chapter 1, we saw that, um, that we were saved or we were elect or chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit. And I mentioned that this word sanctification just means the process of becoming holy. And, and so it is the Holy Spirit that is working this holiness in us. And he does it two ways. Um, second, second Thessalonians 2 Thessalonians 2.13 touches us touches on the idea that this sanctification starts and begins at salvation. It says, we, all, we ought always to give thanks to God for you. And we looked at this verse a couple weeks ago. Because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. So we believe in the truth and the Holy Spirit sanctifies us, declares us as holy before God. There's a lot happening at our salvation. We're declared to be holy. Um, the Bible teaches that we are justified, which means we are declared to be righteous. We are regenerated, the idea that we have been made a new creation. A lot happening at salvation. Sanctification is one of them. But also with sanctification, it's not just an, it's not just an instant, but there is this process by which we become more and more like Christ. We become conformed to the image of Christ. And this is the process of sanctification or the process of becoming holy, becoming set apart, becoming distinct, becoming pure. 2 Corinthians 7 verse 1 um, touches on, 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 a, on a different aspect of it. It is the Holy Spirit that's doing this work, but we also participate in our sanctification. Since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement, doesn't say since we have these promises, let the Spirit cleanse us of every defilement. There is partic- participation on our part in our sanctification. Let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. So holiness comes to completion as we cleanse ourselves. So there is um, an effort and a determination on our part. First Peter, he says, prepare your minds, be holy. But there is also the work of the Spirit that is making us holy, that is sanctifying us. So let's go back to First um, Peter, and we see it again here. Be holy, you shall be holy, for I am holy. This idea that the command to us is to be holy, which indicates we have a choice to be holy or to be unholy. We wouldn't need the command if we were just naturally holy 100% after we were saved. If we were saved, we were made holy, and that was, the, that was it, we wouldn't need the command. We wouldn't need the scripture. We wouldn't need the Holy Spirit working in us. We wouldn't need the fellowship of believers, but it actually is a process, and that's why we need, um, we need the Scripture. We need the Spirit working in us, and the fellowship of believers helps with that in a long way. We're going to come back in just a minute to some, some practical things. What does this look like? How can we do this in our life? But first, we're going to continue through uh, these next few verses because it kind of gives us the motivation 
for why we would want to be holy. Verse 17 says that uh, if you call on him as father, if you call on God as your father, if you are a Christian, if you're a believer, Jesus has saved you. Um, If you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourself with fear throughout your time of your exile. Conduct yourself with awe and reverence to the Lord during your time here on earth, knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold. When, we, when Jesus died on the cross for our sins and we put our faith and trust in him, he purchases us through his blood the redemption for our sins. So it's not gold. It's not silver. We don't pay You know, your tithe this morning does not help get you a spot in heaven. Your good deeds to a neighbor or a co-worker or a family member is not going to help you get into heaven. We we were ransomed. Our, Our sins were paid for, not with perishable things such as silver or gold. Verse 19 says, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Jesus was holy. It's not just God who is holy. Jesus is holy. We see in Luke chapter 1 when when the angel is talking to Mary and she's telling Mary about the son that she's about to have and the miraculous circumstances surrounding it. Um, In Luke 1.35, the angel said to Mary, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child will be born, will be called holy. He will be distinct. He will be set apart. He will be pure. He'll be blameless. The Son of God. Jesus was also holy. Yes, he, he experienced the physical form like we do, but he did it without sin. I want to also just look in, in relation to this idea that Jesus was holy, an interaction that Jesus had with Peter, who of course is the author of First Peter that we're looking at. And after Jesus had given a particularly difficult teaching to um, the crowds and to the, the disciples, and when I say disciples, all those who were following Jesus, it seems that some were not happy with the teaching. So we see in John chapter 6, um, after this, or after this teaching, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus had some that said, nope, I'm not going to do this. I'm not interested. So Jesus said to the 12, do you want to go away as well? Are you, are you, are you guys done? Are you, are you leaving? Are you with me? Simon Peter, always the one that would speak for the group, always the one to have an answer. He says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus was holy. The verse here in 1 Peter calls us to be holy, for I am holy. God is holy. Jesus is holy. Jesus came so that we put our faith and trust in him, and that then we could imitate him. So, continuing in verse 20. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of use. This is speaking of Jesus. Who through Jesus are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. It makes me think of um, this. This little passage makes me think of the hymn, 
um, Jesus paid it all. And the chorus is, Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, he washed it white as snow. And that's what Jesus did for us. Jesus was able to do that because he was holy. He was blameless. He was spotless. He was without sin. And so he was a legitimate payment for our sins. All right, so the command is to be holy just as he is holy. How can we do that? What does that look like? What would be something helpful? We all have this sense of right and wrong, and we should do what's right and not do what's wrong. But how, do we, how can we apply this? How can we um, make an effort? Because the command is to be holy, which indicates that there's something we should be doing. So just a couple of ideas as we, as we look at that. Of course, we, it, it begins in the mind. And that's why Peter said at the beginning of this section, prepare your minds for action. And so um, thinking about how can we be holy, of course, we have the example of Jesus. And maybe some of you might even have this morning on the WWJD bracelet, right? What's the idea behind that bracelet? You would ask yourself when you are in a situation, what would Jesus do? And why would we ask that? Because we are called to imitate Christ. So as we study who Jesus is, as we study how he responded to people, as we study about how he thought and how he interacted, we can imitate some of the same things that Jesus did, follow the same patterns that Jesus did. I think if we were to imitate Christ, we'd find ourselves more kind, more compassionate, more loving, probably less judgmental, less selfish, less harsh, more concerned. Jesus was always concerned with the business of the Father and did not get tangled up in, in, in the affairs of the world. Now, we do have an election coming up next week, and a week from Tuesday, I encourage everyone to vote and to be involved in that, but that is secondary to being involved in what the Father has for us each and every day. Ephesians 5 verse 1 says, therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. Be imitators of Christ. This is where we get this, this movement, this idea from. If we do study Jesus, we'll see that when he was tempted by Satan, he rebuked Satan by using the scripture. Satan tempted him, and Jesus would respond with scripture. So I've got a couple of scripture that I'm going to suggest to all of us. Maybe, maybe you've memorized some of these already, but these are great verses when it comes to thinking about being holy. What does it look like to be holy? Well, it would look like the Holy Spirit working inside of us. And we're we're told in Galatians 5, 22 and 23, what the fruit of the Spirit is, what the, what the physical manifestation of the Holy Spirit working in our lives, what does that look like? Well, it looks like love, it looks like joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there's no law. That's the, the Holy Spirit working in us. That's the Holy Spirit sanctifying us. It's make, the Holy Spirit making us more like Christ when we are loving, when we are patient, when we are peaceful, when we are kind, when we're gentle, when we're self-controlled. That's the Spirit working through us. Great two verses to, to memorize, to help us put us, prepare our minds for how we're going to respond in different situations. Philippians 4 verse 8, another great verse, uh, deals with preparing the mind Finally, brothers and sisters, 
Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable. If there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about such things. Just those two verses. That could, they could transform how we think and how we live our lives by memorizing those verses and putting them into practice. And it's easy to think about that when we're here and we're slapping each other on the back and, and shaking each other and, 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 and we're, we're, all, we're all for each other this morning, right? But then when we get to the workplace and when, when we get to that ornery neighbor and when we get to the difficult family member and when we get to uh, differences of opinions between husbands and wives, that's when the fruit of the Spirit need to be evident in our lives. Prepare our minds for action. Uh, one thing that I think, I made a list. I made a list of areas in our life that we could evaluate and kind of do a self-assessment. How am I, how is my, what is my level of holiness in these areas of my life? Uh, so these are the things I, I wrote down. My thought life. Do, does my thought life reflect Philippians 4.8? Or does it reflect anger and frustration and, and lust and selfishness? The language I use. Do I use the same language with the guys on the hiking trip as I do with you here on Sunday morning? With, with the same that I use with Sarah as I would with my mother-in-law? She just raised her eyebrows at me. <laughs> You know, the, the language that we use to communicate each other, do we, do we speak in, in a way that, is, that imitates Christ, that is holy? What about our interactions with our family, our interactions with our coworkers? Do they reflect holiness or do they reflect selfishness and sinfulness? You know, you, people, people today are looking for a spiritual experience. And maybe you know people, you know, they want to just kind of experience, uh, have, a, have a spiritual experience. I'll, I'll, let me tell you a supernatural experience you can have. Respond kindly to a coworker who is talking badly about you or to is taking credit for the work that you're doing. Respond in love when your spouse is... Uh, just grating on, on that, that, that nerve, whatever it might be. But that's, that's a supernatural, holy experience, is to respond according to the fruit of the Spirit as opposed to responding by our flesh. Um, social media is another thing that I wrote down. What are the things that I'm looking at through for on sp- social media? What are the things that I stop on? What are the things I scroll past? What are the things that I post about and that I don't post about? And if you follow me on Facebook, you know I'm not really posting about much on Facebook. But what am I, what am I, how am I spending, what are my interactions there like? What am I streaming? What am I watching? What am I listening to? Does that reflect a holy lifestyle? Does that indicate that I'm a follower of Christ? Um, the music that I listen to, the books that I read, the magazines that I follow, you, you make your list and then say, you know, on each of those items, these are the things that I'm doing that are, are Christ-like. Praise the Lord. Thank you, God, for, for that, for, for manifesting your spirit in me in that way. And these are some things, ooh, I need, to, these, I need to do some work here. 
Are we responding in a holy manner or in a Christ-like manner? Selfish or sinful? So those are just those are three simple things that I mentioned. Imitating Christ re- requires studying his life and knowing what he's like. Memorizing scripture. Two great passages. Uh, Galatians 5, 22 and 23. Philippians 4, verse 8. Great scripture to memorize. And then a self-assessment. Where, where are you at with that? Where am I at with that? Where can we uh, improve? And like I said earlier, it's not our tendency. We don't naturally tend towards holiness, which is why we have the command. At the same time, there's no condemnation in in Christ Jesus, Romans 8 tells us. So these areas, when we do the self-assessment, I encourage you to do that this week. And you're like, man, I'm not really living a holy lifestyle right here. We can confess our sins, and he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So my encouragement to all of us as we, as we leave here this morning is take this challenge to be holy, just as I am holy, seriously. And um, praise the Lord for areas in your, in your life where you can see that there's a, a, a growing level of holiness and confess and repent for the areas that aren't and commit to God that you are going to imitate him because he's your, he's your father We are to be imitators of Christ. We are to represent him well in the same way that he is set apart and distinct and different. As Christians living our lives in obedience, then we should be set apart and distinct and different. And I'm going to pray for for all of us to that end uh, now. So if you bow your heads with me. Heavenly Father, um, I'm thankful for your word this morning. I'm thankful for... um, just this reminder again that we have a, a motivation towards holy living, and that is that one day we will be with you. And Lord, um, you have uh, given us the example of your son, Jesus. You have shown us throughout scripture your holiness, and you have given us this command to be holy, to be set apart, to be distinct, to be um, a, a people that is for your use. And Lord, I pray that Um, each one of us would uh, take this command seriously, that we would evaluate our lives and we would make adjustments um, as as necessary, that we uh, can be thankful for the forgiveness that we have uh, through Jesus, even as as believers, that we can confess our sins and you're faithful and you forgive us. Lord, I pray that because um, we are living a holy life and we're becoming more like you, that people would stop and take notice. And they would see that there is something different, that there is a a joy, that there is a love, that there is a peace, that there is a gentleness that can only come from you. And Lord, that it would uh, be used of you to draw people to yourself. Lord, thank you for uh, your word. Thank you for uh, your love. Thank you for your patience with us as you um, desire us to be sanctified, to become more and more like you, that we would be becoming holy. And you're patient with us as we work on that in our lives. Lord, thank you for that. Lord, would you work in us as only you can do? And pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.